0: Timo Salonen is having a great drive and has a healthy lead over his teammate Ingvar Karlsson. It poses the question, will team boss von Bold give any team instructions? Will he tell his two drivers to slow down? Timo is still driving to his limit and proving that on his day he's one of the fastest in the world, as he proved recently on the champion of champions race in Paris when he was second overall to Juha Cancuner. When the dust settled after the conclusion of the 1986 World Rally Championship, there was finally time for those involved in rallying's upper echelon to pause, to take stock. The fag end of the Group B age had produced heroes, true, but also a disproportionate number of victims, some in a tragically literal sense. What's less well recalled today, so far removed from the season in question, is that many of those same individuals competing at the time also suffered grievous injury to their professional careers. Drivers who'd worked their way up rallying's greasy pole with diligence found themselves out in the cold desperately hunting around for a works gig in the new Group A future. A task made tougher thanks to the withdrawal of Peugeot, Austin Rover, and in time, Audi. All of a sudden, many contracts once deemed watertight were now no longer worth the paper they were written on, and merely staying on the WSC roundabout became a battle all in itself. Today on the Rally DNA podcast, proudly, supported, proudly sponsored by Slipping Grip Automotive, Killian and myself are taking a deep dive into the post-Group B era, and with it, a close look at a handful of drivers whose career was impacted, challenged, or in some cases, outright derailed as a consequence of the fallout from Group B. Gillian, welcome once again. How are you doing?
1: Very well, Jamie. Uh, Good to be back once more. And uh, another great topic, as suggested by yourself. So you've got to take credit for this one. It's it's an interesting one, this, because I think people, you know, kind of, um, you know, they harp on about the demise of, group b and and in terms of the kind of the 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 spectacle and and the cards and the volume of teams but i think it's not often discussed how it kind of made those those paths for the people involved diverge and yeah exactly what we're going Hmm. to dive into i guess and a lot of different ones and you know we'll talk through obviously six of them here but um you know for some it it outright just stopped it completely i mean maybe bring up a few bonus mentions at the end but um yeah it makes for some interesting chats
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I'll kick things off with uh, Hannu Mikola, Perhaps as close to a household name as rallying got in the Group 4 era, certainly on a global scale, Mikola famously did very well out of Group B. He entertained Audi's offer to drive it to Quattro rather than dismiss it out of hand like so many of his peers. And as a result, he was rewarded with nine wins in the 1983 World Rally Championship. Already one of Rallying's elder statesmen by the time the time by the time the event of 1986 played out, Michler's decision to stick with Audi for the following season, but again through fruitful, albeit not to the same degree as early in the decade. Tasked with squeezing as much from the big Audi 200 Quattro as humanly possible, though only on a tree of events he'd selected himself, Michler was rewarded with his final WRC win, the 1987 Safari, not to mention third on the Acropolis a few weeks later. The safari was an event the Finn had tackled numerous times and came close to winning, only to have success ripped from his grasp for various, usually mechanical maladies. That year's safari was a grueling slog. A Binger safari of the old school proved well suited to the big, powerful, rugged Ingolstadt barge. His eventual winning margin over teammate Walter Roll was a handy 17 minutes. A decision to move to past his new for 1988 seemed on the face of it a wise one, not least as the team he duane was master, at the time viewed as very much a coming force in wild rallying. Its 323 was neat, compact, and shod with those prerequisites for Group A success, all-wheel drive and a forced-induced engine. It was also the scion of another earlier Group A 323, which had competed in the waning days of the Group B era and thus should have been well-developed, and this despite Master's budget being on the modest side for a fully-fledged championship challenge. These assumptions would prove to be wide of the mark, the 323 proving underpowered thanks to its 1600cc engine. Master countered by correctly pointing out that but the car boasted a 16 valve cylinder head, and that this would help to ameliorate its power disadvantage. But nevertheless, left a full 400cc on the table from the beginning. It proved to be a dogged hand to cap the master team, one which only became more acute as the years passed.
1: No, I was just giggling there because I was did the 16 valve head, uh, would make up for it being a 1.6? Lance here, like, hold my beer,
0: hold my boost. Um, it didn't help that the little Mazda was none too reliable. And so Mikola's 1988 was beset with reliability issues. Transmission gremlins made themselves known early on thanks to the original unit's production's origins. And while Mazda sought to replace it with an extract unit midway through the season, they came a cropper. The FIA smacking them with a $250,000 fine for counting both hatchback and saloon 323 variants as part of the homologation run of 5,000. I love stuff like that i, I know it's, it's so lame but i love uh, a sort of fia technicality i mean you know at the time it would have been shite but but you know my, the, the sort of homologation nerd in me quite likes that <laughs> <laughs> uh only finished one of the nine events he started that year coming home in fourth in portugal he also showed both pace and patience on the season-ending RAC and could well have won overall had he not slid off the road on the final leg midway through Grisdale in the of a November night. This event and rallies of its ilk play to the plucky little car's strength. The low grip conditions of the company in Woods helping to mask the 323's horsepower deficit, reduce stress on its transmission and in some respects rendered its basic 50-50 torque split an advantage. 1988 set the template for Mikola's remaining four years at Mazda, a span of time in which he reduced his full-time WRC commitments and selected rounds he wanted to tackle. Yet a lack of power compared to its rivals continued to be a 3-2-3 Bugbear, a situation only marginally improved with the addition of a new 1,800cc engine for 1990. Reli- reliability remained suspect, and so Mikola's best result between 1989 and 1991 would be another fourth, this time on the Monte in 1989. He tackled a brace of rallies in, 19, in early 1992 with Mazda's new 323 GTR, a variant with which the team really should have based its WRC assault on from the outset, but retired early on. His final season as a competing professional WRC driver was in 1993, when the Wiley Finn tackled the Swedish in a pro-drive legacy and the 1,000 leaks in one of TTE's Sonica won ST-185s. The former ended in disappointed, disappointment when a cooked engine robbed him of 8th overall, while the latter saw Mikola come home a fine 7th overall. Not bad for a 51-year-old now competing against relative pups. As one of the elder statesmen of the rallying world, it's hard to judge how badly Mikola's career was impacted by the demise of Group B. Yes, it forced him to cast around for alternative, alternative employment in the years following 1986, but by this point he was already, already undeniably closer to the end of his professional career than he was to the beginning. As such, the fall of Group B probably helped usher Mikola's career to a close rather than derailing it entirely. What do
1: you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Mazda days were a bit of a dirge, but I suppose ultimately had Group E and continued into Group S. It's hard to see him losing his seat at Audi. Um, but, I mean, his age ultimately would have had him, I guess, sidelined to a certain extent or re- running reduced programs at events that he likely would have started to just cho- choose himself. Um mm. Like the Mazda, the Mazda thing is always interesting anyway, just from a team perspective, because as you rightly pointed out, the if you take the car as a template, it, it's got really good ingredients. I guess it, it it's a similar victim to the the Group A Sunny, in that yeah. if you if you take it on paper and, and as a as a theoretical exercise, it's got all the right ideas, um, but ultimately wasn't able to make it work. Um mm-hmm. I think those chocolate gearboxes really affected those. Oh yeah, three, two, trees in a big way. I mean, even the Group N ones couldn't handle it. Like it even mm. like much reduced power, they were always launching gearboxes. Um, Tunbridge yeah. Wells based, weren't they, as the team Europe? Correct. Uh,
0: initially Brussels, uh, I believe, um, and and I think eventually they ended up in. England. I think there might have been a Milton Keynes at some point, but then then it's it's hard to to track. But initially I think in this era when Aki and was in charge, there were Brussels. Mm.
1: Yeah. No, a nice car though. Um I've quite a hankering for uh, an old um 323 GTR it would be a nice. Nice. But I like change. him
0: now. I like them now, but I remember like when I was a kid thinking they were but fuggly and I still kind of think the early one is a hard rally car to love. But then of course everything in this in this late 80s and certainly 87 and 88 Group A cars, and I say this is the biggest Group A apologist going. They look, they look pretty conventional, don't they, and undramatic. You know.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, narrow-body 8-valve integrales are a nice-looking car, but very, very, you know, mm. they're just fairly ordinary in many ways because it's just a five-door hatchback. Um, yeah. And then you have, like, Group A Sierras, which are, which are not a pretty car. The, the, tree, the tree door that is. Like they're 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 on the other end of the scale quite aggressive and but they're boxy and unremarkable in some ways. But
0: yeah. I mean I can't deny I can't deny they are boxy, but it's mad thinking that, that now it's the car that we consider to be, you know, the 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 archetype of boxiness and yet at the time it was the jelly mold, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so- on to the next, the next guy who also fell into Akin Wombold's uh, greasy clutches. I don't know. if I'm sorry, Mister wombold uh, Timo Salonen. Salonen exited the Group B age with seven wins to his name, an impressive tally and one which put him in joint position as the winningest driver of the era, an accolade he shared with Walter Roll. Whereas it could probably be fairly said that Roll, double world champion with over a decade of international competition under his belt, come the end of 1986 had by this point extracted just about all the potential possible from his career, the same could not be said of Saladin. To those who weren't there at the time, it can sometimes appear as if Saladin exploded onto the WR scene, almost from nowhere. The portly, relentlessly laid-back driver certainly took to the 205 T16, like the proverbial Dr. Water, winning in Portugal in just his third outing in Peugeot overalls before going on to win four events on the trot to take the 1985 driver's title at the counter. Yet Salernan had in fact served his time at the lower reaches of the field, and from the late 70s through to 1984, he could normally be found peddling Nissans and Datsuns of various sorts with gusto, often bringing them home in places these naturally aspirated two-wheel drive cars had no business being in. Two years on from his last outing in a Nissan, and Salernan once again found himself in pay of Japanese carmaker, this time Mazda. Like Michele, he would find the move to be at best a sideways one, perhaps even a downward step from the class leading Peugeot, the archetypal Group B success story. But it was a full time work contract with a mass market car maker and a sport suddenly in a state of flux, and this should never be forgotten. Those were the positives, of which there were more than a few. The small master team was also professionally run by Akim Warmbold, based in Europe, and seemed, at least at the outset, to be heading in the correct direction. After all, Mazda had been a rallying stalwart throughout the 80s, first with its Group BRX7 and also a succession of Group A 323s, a good grounding, one would think, for a new production-based WRC programme. On the face of it then, Mazda Rally Team Europe seemed as good a place as any for the world champion to hang his hat, but appearances can be deceptive. The 323 with which it would contest the 87 season was underpowered thanks to its engine and underdeveloped in terms of its four-wheel drive system. It was also being campaigned with a team whose relationship with its paymasters back east was sometimes less than harmonious, and all these factors took a, call, t- took a toll on the 3 2 outright competitiveness. Not that any of this seemed especially apparent at the beginning, and certainly not on the first running of Rally Sweden in the Group A era, in which Saladin scampered off into the distance to claim Mazda's first WRC win. Ahead of more potent and better-funded opposition, the result marked an important milestone in Mazda's rallying relationship and seemed to offer a ho- glimmer of hope for the season to come. Certainly, that's what those without invested interest in a particular team or driver hoped would be the case, as most fence-sitters wanted nothing more than to kick the, the group, kickstart the Group A era with a down-to-the-wire title fight. That would, of course, force to, prove to be a false dawn. The 323 proved to be both underpowered and nowhere near reliable enough. Salonen found himself taking an early bath on the Monte, Portugal, and Finland, bringing the curtain down on what had been a frustrating partial programme for team and driver. Like teammate Mikkola, Salonen also had to deal with transmission frailties and the loss of the extract unit intended to replace it over the course of the first season. 1988 brought more of the same, with Salonen able to partially make up for the 323's lack of outright grunt by driving to the limit in low grip conditions but there were no more victories. Saladin had to be content with fourth at home in Finland, impressive given its big power nature, and a fine second on the, on the season-ending RAC. 1980, 1989 would prove the last for the original 3-2-3, and while it would be wrong to call the season an unqualified success, it wasn't without its bright spots. Chief amongst these was a stunning second place on the Thousand Lakes, an event in which Saladin was bested by an all form Mikael Eriksson in a big boost gallant VR4. Salen had finished above the likes of Carlos Sainz and at Kenneth Eriksson, both in Salika GT4s and also Mickey Biazion in a delta integrale. These results were doubtless aided by a new centre differential with a viscous, viscous coupling, finally addressing one of the 3-2-3's most glaring deficits, its 50-50 drive split. Salen had nearly put it to the best of uses by winning in Sweden, but slid out of the lead and into a snowbl- snowbank, leaving the way clear for his teammate Ingvar Karlsson to take a maiden win. The next year would be Saladin's fourth and final at Mazda, and despite the launch of the new 1800cc GTX version of the 3-3 midway through the year, it would prove to be another frustrating experience. A best result of six overall in the Thousand Lakes was a poor reward for Saladin's investment of so many years, and this despite it being the event on which Mazda opted to debut its new car, it likely played a role in his decision to depart the team at the end of 1990. And so Saladin pitched up at Mitsubishi, the team with which he would end his professional WRC career. In truth, he'd been running partial campaigns since the late 80s by this point, content to pick and choose the rallies he enjoyed or which best suited the traits of the car in which he happened to be driving. Mitsubishi would be no different, with Saladin taking six, six WRC events with the best placing of fourth on the RIC rally over the course of his first year with Rally Art. The following year saw him tackle just the Monte and Rally Portugal, for which he was awarded with sixth and fifth respectively. But with results hard to come by, and the inadequacy of the now long-in-the-tooth gallant plain-to-see, Salonen offers to call time on his professional career at the end of the year. It's hard not to view Salonen's post-Group B career as an extended exercise in frustration. Whether or not the man himself would agree with such a grim assessment is pure conjecture, but it's probably safe to say he would have expected more success in the years following his departure from Peugeot to Mazda. After all, this is a man who'd all but dominated the 1985 season, perhaps the high watermark of the group B age, and it was forced to make do with mere crumbs of success in the follow- years following the banishment of the flame-spinning monsters. Hindsight tells us that the move to Master from Persia was far from ideal, and in fact contributed to Salah's decrease in force, uh, in form. Denied the tools with which to showcase his talent regularly, Salonen's worth in the fickle service part began to decrease. The new generation of up-and-coming youngsters hove into view, the likes of Carlos Sainz, Didier Aurel, and eventually Colin McRae, all began to shade and whenever inter-team talk turned to a new driver. It should, of course, be stressed that hindsight is a wonderful thing, and that—and also that to Salonen, the master contract must have seemed like little short of a lifeline when it was offered in 1987. Here, after all, with a cast iron—here, uh, after all, was a cast iron full-time work con- works contract in a world recently upended, and with the team seemingly on the track to rallying greatness. A shrewder man would have been would have struggled to, t- to turn Aki Wambold's advances down. And so, we should never blame Salin for this. I think this is the most troubling for me. Group the post Group B career. Um, if that's not too strong a word, I, I really rate Saladin, as anyone should really, um, and, and that's quite apart from being, being an incredible character. But just yeah, just, just he deserved so much more, um, and 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 could have achieved so much more, and never was never given the tools properly, in my opinion, in the years following.
1: No, certainly not. But I think <clears throat> for me, Saladin, like like many of his generation, they were never they they seemed like a few of them just they wanted to go and do the rallies they wanted to do and that as these these younger for want of a better word more professional drivers came along that were doing you know full calendars or or, or very least most of it like 10 out of 13 rounds something like that mm. um you know or 7 out of 10 this kind of stuff that i don't know that they just kind of Feel like they fell by the wayside a bit, or, or or how bothered were they? I mean, look, I don't know the bloke, you'd have to ask him, but you know, these were people that seemed like they were very happy with partial seasons. Now, granted, they want to go out and win those rallies as well. It wasn't to say they didn't want to compete, and they didn't want to win because mm. they did, but mm. they they had different views on the championships to the way we view things now. Um, but yeah, the Mazda thing, uh, his 88 season is incredibly impressive in that, mm-hmm. um, you know, before the upgrades. And given that the competition in 88, like Delancey was only getting stronger and the Celica had had come about at that point to get mm-hmm. those, um, that second place.
0: Yeah. And the on the Monty isn't bad either. I mean, that was a really snowy Monty, if I remember rightly. I think mm. there's a photo of him like carving through a road that appears to be about three foot beneath the snowback. You know, it looks for all the world like a, a Swedish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right. You know, he was definitely punching above his weight. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you also right about the the, the the professional the lack of professionalism compared to the younger guys. I mean obviously Salin and, and many fins of his life wasn't especially beloved of Tama, but then you get guys like Walter Roll, who outright refused to do you know Finland and famously things like that. that would never have flown in in, in the 90s, would it?
1: You know? <laughs> no, I mean, look if you put you know Salon alongside your Carlos Sainz, who's just appeared on stage, very different people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, plus, it's they different. were from the era where the, the, the partial program or picking and choosing or, or and uh, rounds was was par for the course. Mm-hmm. So it was just expected, I guess.
0: Different generations, both in a sporting sense and a sort of wider sense as well.
1: Mm, yeah, for sure. Um, it's a shame as they didn't last a bit longer, just as it's always nice to have another manufacturer, I guess, and it was a good-looking car. That but final the- GTR
0: is... One of the best, you know, the red promo shots, press shots people have seen is one of the wildest looking rally cars. I and mean, can you imagine if, if that had come on and, and won and been as successful as it looked like it should have been? You know, Mazda would be viewed as in the same breath as Lancia.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a shame we don't see more of them around now, mm-hmm. really. Um, hence, teeth, those things. Uh, but oh, i imagine, yeah. get imagine getting, imagine getting bits for them is no oh, yeah an impossible
0: it's not like master's dealership network is particularly exhaustive this way anyway no not over here either <laughs> uh,
1: no 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 uh, okay so i'm going to your two kind of tie together pretty nicely so my first two are kind of similar again they they follow a similar pattern they they'll kind of link nicely but then dramatically <laughs> diverge in a couple of ways so I'm going to kick off with Juhal Kankanen, good old KKK. Uh, after cutting his teeth in the obligatory Mark II Escort in the late 70s, being coached by Timo Mäkinen no less, and progressing to a Manta GTE in 1982 to compete outside of Finland, which was actually blighted by a host of mechanical issues, KKK made the step up to the big leads in 1983 after Toyota came a-knocking. His debut with the team piloting a Toyota Twin Cam Turbo. Thon so placed a very respectable sixth against pretty stiff opposition on the 1000 Lakes, albeit 11 minutes off the winning Quattro of Hanu Mikola, but perhaps more tellingly, 16 minutes ahead of his vastly more experienced teammate Bjorn Waldegard. This established you as a proper up-and-coming talent. He would go one better in the same car on the same event next year, arguably more impressive feat again given Groupie was really after hitting its stride, Properly quick cars and a lot of budget being pumped into the teams at this point. In 1985, he would also claim his first world championship victory, but later in the season by another on two very specialised African endurance events, the Safari and the Ivory Coast rallies. This was the pinnacle of the Twin Cam Turbo's career, pl- proving exactly the, what Toyota wanted to demonstrate on the world stage, the ruggedness of their cares. Conversely, all four Quattros on the Ivory Coast event would retire, yeah, uh, and you can insert some sort of German reliability reference here. <laughs> the Quattro's never liked those endurance rallies. Like the, uh, I guess, M- Michelle Mouton would probably really hate Safari, given that it really denied her one of one of the ones that denied her a championship. I guess they yeah. they always didn't do well. They would failed to finish or finish way back.
0: And isn't '85 with the Quattro and Mouton the the infamous? Um... Hitting a train in the car and then the wrecky car being pressed back in or
1: whatever it was, yeah, huggery, you know, yeah. yeah. So this was the first time that someone would win the safari under first goal. That's this- mad.
0: That whole that whole that, that is that is that is an absolutely say, insane statistic. The fact that he won it on his first asking in, in when when the safari was as raw and and brutal as it was, it should never be understated. I think.
1: It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. This catapulted the young Finn right at the top of everyone's list of world rallying's hottest next big things and landed him a drive in the 1986 season with Jean Todt's Peugeot Sport team in their new 205 T16 Evo 2, probably the best of all the Group E cars to ever see a stage. This was the car to beat in 86. And of course, the championship the previous year had been won by our old friend Salonen in, the, in the, the Evo, well, the previous version Evo 1. And Juha would be the man you'd have to worry about. In the 10 rounds he contested, he would net three wins and a three further podium places to seal his first world championship. Though, this would actually be awarded weeks after the season ended when Marco Willen's win in Portugal was struck out, making him the youngest champion to date, a record which would stand until 1995.
0: Poor old Alan. I mean, yeah. I I really Really? like Kankinen as a driver and an individual, but but I, I struggle not to to sympathise with Alan. I mean, who could you not, really? It was, you know, no. he deserved it.
1: I mean, he, Alan did nothing wrong.
0: No, no, you know? no, no. And it's not like and didn't get enough titles later, either. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah you, you could dole a few out for, for <laughs> poor old Marco. When the music stopped in 1986, the seat everyone desired was one at Lancia. They had been testing and developing the Group A Integrale alongside their Group B care, and were a team with no shortage of experience winning therefore, were the only real contender for the crown in 87. The Lancia team of 87 was absolutely stacked. Joining Cankers was Mr. Maximum Attack, Marco Alain, and Mickey Bazian, while Bruno Sabi would contest a short programme with the obligatory Vic Preston Jr. entry for Safari. The manufacturer's battle was truly a one-horse race, with Lancia romping home and collecting 140 points to second-place Audi's 82
0: not everything was better back in the day. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> the driver's battle, naturally, was between the top three Lancia drivers. Allen and Biazian would net three wins apiece, the Kankanen's two, but he would top the standings by six points over Biazian in the end. I'd love to have been privy to the atmosphere between Kankanen and Marco Allen in, in that team that year, given how 86 had played out, right? You've got to That's imagine it. they were kind of. Well, you know, again, I mean, neither of them did anything wrong. I guess it wasn't like Cancun; it was really campaigning for it. I don't know. Uh, Plus it fins. had to be fairly really sickened. Their yeah, fins.
0: it probably it was it was probably all resolved with like the the raising of one eyebrow and and the cocking of another. You
1: know, <laughs> yeah, just throwing their towel over the shoulder on the way to the sauna.
0: <laughs> oh, a tweak of the moustache.
1: Yes. <laughs> Given the affection he had for TTE, the team that gave his career on the world stage at start, he made the switch back there for the 1988 season, with a quick detour to win the Paris-Dakar and the Peugeot first. With hindsight, it was easy to say this wasn't the right call, given the Deltas baked in winning prowess. But TTE was clearly somewhere he felt comfortable, they had a lot of budget, and the Celica looked pretty advanced. He perhaps relished the challenge to develop the ST165 and bring Toyota to a World Championship. It was not a good year for Toyota. His first outing was the Safari in a Supra, to which he finished fifth. However, every outing in the new Celica finished in retirement, bar one, the RAC, which he was over the max time allowed, so not a whole pile better. With lessons hard learned, TTE and Cancanum put up a much better outing the following year, with a first win in Australia for the Celica and decent points all overall, with the Finn finishing third in the driver standings. He must have been impatient at waiting for the Celica to become a proper winner, so returned to Lancia once more for 1990. As being the winningest team of the Group A era to date, surely another world championship was but a formality. Of course, I can only speculate as to the reasoning here, but this spectacularly backfired when Carlos Sainz took home the silverware, driving what else but the 165 that he'd left.
0: I mean, there's a rich history in this, in rallying in all forms of motorsport, of, of a driver doing the hard yards to develop a car. Only to sort of lose patience, despair, and, and, you know, fuck off somewhere else. And then some interloper coming in to inherit all their good work. And I think this is the the archetypal example, isn't it? I mean, it's hard not to feel sorry for them. I know it's part and parcel of the sport, but
1: still. But this is why Sign should have known better than to go to Lancia a couple of years later.
0: Especially as late as 1993. Yeah. I mean, I mean that probably says, I don't want to derail you here, but that probably says as much about the bewitching character of the delta integrale on everyone not just those people stood watching it but the people actually charged with driving it you know the idea that you could you could kid yourself after almost half a decade that this car would still be able to to win and win regularly and and no one would disagree with you because it's a delta integrale it's delta yeah M.
1: and the team itself would have had such a mythos around it as well and i'm sure like Cesare fiorio makes a convincing argument i mean it's probably like you know, in an in, in F1 even when Ferrari are shit if they come knocking at your door and offer you a contract you kind of have to take it so yeah, yeah I but don't know. N-
0: Mr. <laughs> Mr. Fiorio does it does it matter that uh, we're, we're no longer Lancia is no longer funding this and we're at the jolly club no 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 hands in the air lots of gesticulation no no
1: <laughs> takes another pull on the cigarette and, and sips on an Aperol spritz no no Carla. <laughs> Have
0: we moved on from the French mashing to the, the, the Italian now? Oh, no, you know I love <laughs> the Italians. Yeah, we all love
1: the Italians. <laughs> uh, oh, where was I? Ah, 1991 proved much better, with KKK claiming his most wins in a season to date in the 16-valve integrale, with five wins and 58 stage wins to boot, sealing his third world championship. 1992 would result in a second place in the world championship before returning once again to a spiritual home at Toyota Team Europe to contest the 93 season in the new ST185 Celica my personal favorite of the Celicas sorry Jamie um pop up <laughs> headlights um well,
0: the other one had pop up headlights and all
1: yeah but <laughs> I I like to, I like the 185 <laughs> just a little bit more the one in five is a tricky car to get the most from, uh, as they complain, as many of the drivers complained at the time. But Yuha a new co-driver Nikki Grist made the best of it, netting five wins, including one at Toyota's favourite hunting ground in Kenya. The fin would remain at TTE until 1996, though Toyota weren't contesting the championship that year after their restrictor mischief in 95. With Toyota taking a break for 97 to develop the all-new, all-legal Corolla, <laughs> He was drafted into Ford to replace Armin Schwartz halfway through the season and contested the rounds from Argentina onwards in the Escort WRC. By this point, Juha had now completed in Group 4, Group B, Group A, and now the World Rally cars and showed his class and adaptability by netting four podiums on the bounce in the Escort. He'd score another seven podiums in the Escort the following year. Not bad for a guy knocking on the door of 40 at this point. 99 saw a switch to Subaru. Where once again he demonstrated his class and speed against the young talent of the day with two wins, one in Finland and one in Argentina, two famously challenging events, and showing he could manage this new class of cars that so many of his contemporaries from the eighties struggled with.
0: This the Argentine one is the um, the team orders row, is it not? The it, where, where Robert Reed said, "Where there's a fin, there's a shark," which, yes. which is, I think, one of my favourite pithy observations ever.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Sorry. Don't, You're absolutely bang on. This will be the last season to see Kankinen stand on the top step of the podium, however, after a distinctly average, by his standards, at least 2000 season. He was left without a works drive for 2001, though he was drafted in by Hyundai for Rally Finland, uh, in which he failed to finish. 2002 saw him back in Hyundai again for a partial season, though this was not a car capable of fighting at the top end. And after a ninth place finish in Rally GB, this is the last time we would see one of the greatest drivers ever to grace a rally stage in a works capacity, barring a Stobart Ford outing in 2010, which I imagine isn't a works drive, actually, but anyway, um, but I suppose at the top end of, of World Rally. Juhal Kankinen was and is an incredible talent, certainly in the top five rally drivers of all time, in my opinion, not just because of his numerous world titles, but because they straddled different eras. And even into the world rally car era, he continued to win and fight for wins in machinery so far removed from a group four escort as to compare the right flyer with an F-16. He was the true winner to form post 86 when so many decided to seek different disciplines, stop altogether or whose flame flickered out in machinery far below their, what their talents deserved in a time where far less opportunities were available. Yuha Kankinen, however, made it work and he had a cracking mustache to boot. And he also set a world speed record on ice in a convertible Bentley.
0: Black, brown, really. <laughs> mate, that yeah. I, I can't I can't disagree with any of that. Um and and, and I think you're completely right. The highlighting the 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 broad straddle of eras he, he can well, not just competed, but won in as well. But well, this know. is it.
1: It's not uh, like he's just plugging <clears throat> along for fifths and sixths. Yeah. Um, he was right up there.
0: In an um, ideal world, he'd have got a WRC world rally car title as well, just to, to really, cause that would have, but, but Hey, I mean, yeah, just incredible character. Um, and, and hard to begrudge all the success really. And I think it's probably fair to say that he did the best out of anyone, who yeah. was at the top of the world in group B, as you said, uh, from you know from the transition to group
1: A. Yeah, he he is the success story from it. Okay, he benefited maybe from <laughs> being a little bit younger because I like, suppose at the time, you know, people were kind of arriving at the top end at a, at a slightly later stage of their lives. And you know, the, the group B days like you're like see so your your Mikolas and your blanquists have been knocking around a long time. So you know, he he was one of the young guns when it came around, but he managed to make those newer cars work, those Group A cars, and then the WRC cars. Like even people graduating from kind of Group A struggled with WRC machinery. Um, so really, you, really impressive. I think
0: you raise a good point there about um that like the age of of WRC debutants obviously decreasing now. But you know, Kankanen, what would have been in his early twenties or whatever when he when he broke into Works WRC drives at Toyota in Group B, whereas a lot of the guys he was competing against, the Mikolas and the Waldergans, probably would have been in their mid thirties when they did the same. Maybe, maybe slightly younger, but you know, motorsport as a rule uh, was was a lot easier to make your way into, provided you had the funds and the talent, of course, at a, at a more advanced age back then. Yep. Yeah. yep. Whereas now, obviously, if you're not winning, competing regularly, by the time you're at Nappies, it's kind of it's, it's... Yeah, you
1: can miss the boat quite early
0: these days, I'm and there's still, kind of no you know, back. I'm worried that boat's never returning for me.
1: <laughs> <But> mine sank,
0: <laughs> Lusitania WRC rally.
1: <laughs> um, you could draw a neat, a neat enough line between Cankin and then this next one because they're, they're, their 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 paths ran almost parallel. Post Group B, um, but yeah, came quite different in the end. So, Mickey Beazian. the only person on this list who was lucky enough to be photographed with myself, Massimo Beazian, better known as Mickey, was born in 1958 in Northeastern Italy. He came to Providence in the early 80s in the Italian National Championship, driving a variety of Opel machinery before he moved to Jolly Club in '83, where he absolutely dominated the European Championship in his 037. Side note: How good was the European Championship in the mid early and mid eighties?
0: Oh yeah, it's just full of 037s covered in fag liveries like Danny Danny Cerato and and isn't um isn't Bianchi O thirty seven the one with the West backing? I'm probably wrong, but I certainly it's uh, yeah. And, and you've got um what's his face um in the 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 gold and and black affair? Um, yes, to I Br- love that Fibrit- one. Fabrizio Tabaton.
1: That's it, Tabaton. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's a great looking character. Oh, well just your 37s in any different year. It's hard to make them look bad. Covered in muck and shite and yeah.
0: Just just the the, the ultimate thing of there being no bodywork after after the rear wheels. Just yeah. fuck it. Bunks and mud guards. Let's go to the pub. Let's go.
1: His first outing with the team resulted in a win and continued with another six victories that season. While also placing fifth on that year's San Remo, which was a round of the World Championship. 1984 saw him contest more rounds of the World Championship with a really impressive second on the Tour de Corse behind Marco Allen of the Lancia Works team. Perhaps more impressive was his second place in Portugal the following year, still in a 0.37, while the remainder of the top five were all in four wheel drive machinery, though he was over four minutes behind Timo Salonen's 205 at the finish. That's a really good result. And on a Mixed surface rally as well. Yeah, yeah, and Portugal is a tricky round anyway as well. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, really, really impressive there. His place at the Lancia works team was all but assured at this point. And indeed, 1986 saw him take a seat at the top table, now equipped with the new S4. The graduation to the works team would, of course, be mired by later events in 86. But prior to that, Biazian proved he had earned that place with three podiums and his first World Rally Championship win in Argentina. Well, you could say it was unfortunate that would what would have set up possibly a fruitful Group B e and then maybe later Group S career with Lancia, Mickey was a beneficiary at still being in the right place at the right time, stepping nicely into the Group A Delta HF for 1987. Lancia ran away with the championship that season, but despite having three victories, the Italian would lose out on the top honours to the team at Juha Kankinen, as mentioned earlier. 1988, however, would be a different story. With Kankinen departed for Toyota, Bayesian were go on up was probably the most dominant season by a driver seen in the World Championship to date. Out of the seven rounds he entered, he would claim five wins, a second place and then one retirement at Monte Carlo and was crowned world champion for 1988. Despite a much better campaign in 1989 from competitors Toyota, Bayesian would put up a sublime title defence, once again scoring five wins. And retaining his crown, the second driver to take two championships in a row after Kankan in eighty six and eighty seven, and making it the third year in a row, the winning driver was piloting Valencia Delta. If you want to win, get a Lancia, it seems. He'd also won two Kenyan safaris on the trot, not a rally where it would seem the Delta would shine.
0: But defending your um defending your your, your maiden WRC title is is something that I think we sort of take not for granted these days, but certainly it's not the, the anomaly that it was, you know, within an age of Auger and Loeb and everything else. Back mm-hmm. in the day, being able to sort of dust yourself up and do the same again and defend it in a in, in an era of patchy reliability and longer rallies with more variables and everything else, that's, mm-hmm. that's not nothing. No, it's, it's no.
1: not. It, it, like, you definitely need to have <clears> – <throat> the, the, the Delta seems, actually, by the by – the... The standards of the day seem to be quite a reliable car in fairness to it but but like you say like events are much longer you know you can't always depend on your own pace and speed so I think a high degree of mechanical sympathy was a prerequisite here
0: and didn't he also stop on the safari to, to help hoist uh, an elephant out of a mud puddle at some point in 89 as well I think
1: he did yeah, so, yeah. Good,
0: good guy <laughs> yeah
1: by 1990 Lancia were starting to have a much tougher fight on their hands. Toyota's continued progress with the ST165 saw a true fight for the championship between different teams for the first time since Group E had ended. Carlos Sainz was making his presence felt in the red and white Salika, Despite a decent start to the season for Mickey with a third in Monte and a win in Portugal, a retirement on Safari cost him valuable points in a rally where he had been so strong. Newcomer to the team Didier Oriel would finish in the high, the highest place Lancia driver and Spaniard Sainz would take his first world title, with Lancia retaining the manufacturer's crown, albeit by a more meagre six points now. 1991 would prove another hard-fought year for the Martini-Lancia team. Though so this time, recently returned Finn Kankinen would lead him to victory, the last time a Lancia driver would win a world championship. It was distinctive, a distinctly average season for Biasion though. He'd struggled to match Kankinen's pace all year and would fail to win a rally since his move to the works team five years earlier, finishing fourth in the driver's standings, just as he had the previous year. By now, more and more talent was arriving into the top flight and more manufacturers were being attracted back in. With his star power at Lancia waning, and indeed delta now quite long in the two-platform by rallying standards, It was time for a change, and Biazian made the switch to Ford for the 1992 season, equipped with a distinctly larger and more unwieldy Sierra Sapphire, though with the arrival of the new Escort Cosworth just over the horizon being the real attraction here. It's fair to say here, sorry Jamie, that the old Saf was not a winning car, despite Delacour's best efforts in Monty that time. (laughs) When he arrived at Ford, he was aghast that you couldn't alter the fuel and ignition timing with a laptop, as could be done with the Delta. The platform was decidedly ancient, unreliable in terms of transmission differentials, and indeed the power plant, despite a huge power output rumored at times, and very unlike the Nimble Delta, though he did wrestle it to a third and a second place result over the course of the season.
0: This is Italian propaganda.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've no horse in either race here, man.
0: (laughs) A gas that is is a strong word,
1: (laughs) he probably was. I mean, I think it's fair to say, yeah. I don't know. I mean, also, I'd love to see the size of the laptop that Lancia were using in 1990.
0: Yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just off to power my olive oil. (laughs) I'm just up to to fire up MS DOS, I'll be 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, (laughs) quick point the fan at the computer. Quick, it's a bit hot down in San Remo. Uh, More tellingly, perhaps, you should look at the number of stage wins Just 13 compared with 52 in 1919 in the Delta A year he came fourth in the championship Worse still, Ford had swapped the shit But still somehow cooled Q8-sponsored livery For the shit and uncool Mobile 1 Autoglass affair
0: That's a good hill to die on, I'll join you in that one
1: <laughs> I think that Mobile 1 Autoglass one just looks so... Uh, thoughtless, It's just, it's just okay. Where there's a couple of straight lines. Let's stick these here. It's you know when you're making like a livery in Gran Turismo or some shit, and you're really not one of these people who has a load of time and the patience on your hands to create something, um, and you just slap loads of stuff hither and thither, and it's all in straight lines, and that's it.
0: So I mean, I quite like on its own. I like the auto glass mobile one livery. It just suffers from from not being a cacophony of hearing aid beige and dark blue which is just horrible objectively and yet somehow kind of works
1: somehow works yeah See also I think... early legacy yes <laughs> and did the beige turbo fans somehow look better as well
0: beige turbo fans is the clincher isn't it
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh. this was okay though as in 1993 Ford debut the escort RS cosworth a much better contender for someone with the italian's talents out of the box, the car was quick, with Mickey taking a podium in Monte Carlo along with teammate Delacour. Winner of the event was his old nemesis, Kankanen, in a Salika. The real battle for Biazian, though, would be to stay ahead of younger star Delacour first and foremost. The four team would continue their form into Portugal with Delacour winning and Biazian second, though the Frenchman's prodigious pace on tarmac far outstripped the Italians when it came to the tour de course. Ford now seemed to view Delacour as the star driver and this started to cause divisions in the team.
0: I don't got the keys to that F40. I want to take it for a quick drive.
1: <laughs> oh, it's going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's hard, it's hard. Maybe it's a little bit easy to forget that, like, what Delacour's kind of star power was like in 1993 uh, and 92, you know. Hmm. Um. In in, in Obviously, a couple of years later, we had like you know McRae winning and and um Tommy Mackinnon but like Delacour was going to be one of those guys.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, from out of nowhere, as we as we discussed at our Monty episode, you know, from from two wheel drive um three o nines and two o fives to leading a rally in a Group A Safari, you know. Um. Yeah. Like you, I mean, you
1: see Delacour behind the wheel. I'd actually if you see in-care footage or see care fo- footage of him setting off, you never see a man that looks like he wants to win as much as Delacour.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he's awesome.
0: Uh, but, you're, but you're right about Biazian. I mean, it's a weird one because I, I never associate Biazian with Group B and yet he certainly cut his teeth and did his grounding in, in Group B, you know, and 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 a little bit in Group 4 as well, as you say, you know. Um uh but so i he did he, enough
1: time in 037s and he got to you know he is because of his arrival into the Lancia works team just as it ended he has to be mentioned here because you yeah. would assume that he would have been okay he stayed with Lancia but he he probably didn't pitch for himself in Integrales
0: it's also hard to overstate the sort of the romantic appeal of an italian in an italian car you know mm-hmm. doing very so very well you know
1: for sure Despite the strong start to the season for both four drivers, Juha Kankanen and the in 185 would dominate from Argentina on and nick another world title, as previously mentioned. It seemed, though, that if there was a year to see a driver in an escort win, 93 was that year. Though Delacour would win the opening round of the 94 season, he would sit out a good portion of the season after badly breaking both legs in the infamous F40 crash. Um, with a ZX, ZX Z- Volcano. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. ZX on, on for a road rally.
0: That's mad. That's one of the, the best facts in the world. I mean, what are the chances?
1: <laughs> I do like a ZX 16 Valve. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Kraken looking card. Yeah. Given how close Biazian was to him the previous season pace wise, you'd think this would be going to bode well for him and be a prime opportunity you now to sort of reassert himself within the team and maybe reestablish himself. But alas, he never found a top step and was also plagued with mechanical gremlins. And his best results would be two third-place finishes, one in Portugal, one in San Remo. As the season progressed, car also seemed further and further behind its rivals. And I suspect even a fighting fit Delacour would not have been able to challenge for the championship in Ocosi. Biazien's relationship with the team continued to sour, and his contract was not renewed for 1995, at which point he basically retired It's just 37. I think it makes a very interesting comparison with with Kankin, which is why I've paired them up. You know, given they've both came of age more or less the same time. Kangenin maybe a touch earlier, but they're they're around the same age. Um, mm. I actually think Biazzi might be a touch older, or maybe I've got that reversed. But um, and,
0: yeah, and retiring at thirty seven is no age, you
1: know. Even now, not, know yeah, even that. now, but more so then. Mm. That's you know the, the you know like Allen knocking around at fifty one there. Um, I mean when
0: did Gronholm get his first win he must have been in his early 30s for that I mean you know it's yeah it's,
1: he was yeah he know. was quite late to the game right. Um, though, though I'm still shocked that Loeb was over 30 when he won his first one
0: Jesus wept
1: which sounds insane given the run it's, he went on
0: yeah he looks so sort of fresh faced as well
1: yeah yeah Um, yeah I mean they both got the same crack of the whip at Lansing in the early group A days and even you think that if you look at the two of them side by side, that you has kind of team hopping, you would think maybe should have been more detrimental, uh, because he was kind of forward and bouncing back and forth. Um, but I think, look, that that Ford move, I mean, the the escort was never the car it could have been. Um, that's the thing,
0: isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was always talked about as being this, you know, archetypal group A banger, and it never quite fulfilled its potential, did it?
1: No, no, um. I think I think history and and looking back, it, it seems very forgiving of Descartes Cosworth Group A now. Um, but it, I mean, that... it it never really looked, you know, it was it was quick. Um, but I think it arrived if it, if it had arrived a year earlier, maybe. Um, I think you can say now, the same Mitsubishi and Subaru then. So,
0: I think that applies to to Ford's rally exploits from oh yeah 1982 to you know uh, yeah 2017 to be honest it's 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 a case of you know not quite delivering the goods really
1: um yeah i mean like ford for i think we mentioned this just in some offhand chat there maybe last year or something but ford given ford's close association to rally and i mean being the rally brand re- really in many ways ford yeah. has won a lot of championships not well, at the, not, not at the world level, um, yeah. certainly, um, yeah, which is always funny, isn't it? Very much so, it's and really... they've always been there as well. I mean, without many breaks, really, yeah. uh, a couple, but yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, at the turn of the century, um, you know, you had managed to make the most of his post-Lancia career and still winning rallies, but. Mickey Biazian just kind of fiddled and disappeared a mere five years after his second world title, and the only decent year he got post-Lancia was '93. Really,
0: I guess it kind of also isn't to do with a, a given driver's passion for for dealing with the 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 sort of WRC circus. You know, mm. even back then, especially if you if you not so much for Biazian and Canconen, but if you'd come of age and era when you, as we said earlier about Salen, when you're expected to turn up, have a fag. Blitz the opposition and then bugger off home. You know, the idea hmm. that you'd have to now, A, compete in every round of the WRC, you know, and and go to all these far flung places. Yeah, it must have been. You know, not everyone can can be a, a Kankanen or an Allen with a sort of seemingly inexhaustible passion for it. Yeah, for sure.
1: For sure. So you've got, who have you got next for us, Jamie? I have
0: Mr. Maximum Attack himself, Marku Allen. A constant at WRC level for at WRC level for what seemed like a majority of the 20th century, Mark Willen is a rare example of a top-tier WRC driver finding his career barely impacted by the switch from Group B to Group A. OK, so you could argue that much of this can be put down to his being a Lancia driver and thus blessed with a succession of well-beating Deltas, but it's an impressive achievement all the same. Also impressive is the fact that, that a significant portion of his vast career took place after the end of Group B which is no mean feat given he began it way back at the beginning of the Group 4 era in the early 70s. In bare descriptive terms, words like longevity and versatility barely begin to touch the sides. Allen's decision to stick with Lancia for 87 would prove to be a masterstroke, even if there was in reality little chance of this most latter of Finns departing the team he'd made his own for the thick end of 15 years. Allen thus started his first year of the Group A era with the car to beat, the Delta HF four-wheel drive, and he made good use of it by winning three times and challenged the title until the very end, only being relegated to third behind Kankadan at the thanks to the former's win on the RAC at the end of the year. 1988 brought more of the same, with Alan stubbornly refusing to cede ground to his younger teammates. Victory in a sparsely populated Sweden was merely the opening salvo of a deeply impressive campaign, one in which he'd win his 6,000 lakes with a margin of almost three minutes ahead of his teammate Mikael Eriksson. Rounding out the year with victory on the RAC and the New Delta Integrale well, that was one of the few he'd, few events he'd yet to win, uh, and though it wasn't enough to deprive t- teammate Biazian of his first driver's title, it would prove to, uh, it would prove to be Allen's final visit to the top WRC podium and a fitting one at that. 1989 saw Allen contest a much reduced program of a handful of events, The second in Portugal and a third in Australia, did much to dispel mutterings that he'd lost some of his speed. His departure from Lancia for 1990 brought the curtain down on one of rallying's most enduring driver-team partnerships and also opened the door to a new career at Subaru. Charged with spearheading a assault on the WRC with its new legacy RS, Alan at first struggled, his hopes snubbed by woeful reliability of the course of that year. His best result was four on the Thousand Lakes, his only finish of the year, but in truth, these early legacies were far from fully developed and suffered from a degree of friction between Banbury and Japan. Only when the latter relented and finally entrusted the former with engine development for 1992 did things really begin to improve, and by that point, Allen had once more opted to part for past new. This isn't to suggest that there weren't bright spots in that year. Allen briefly battled for the lead on his first ever event in the legacy, the Acropolis, and even led the RAC at the end of the year for a spell before, predictably, the engine let go. Things would improve as the, as the legacy became a more reliable proposition in 1991, with Alan able to secure, secure a third overall in Sweden and a brace of fourth places in New Zealand and Australia. It proved beyond doubt that the Subaru, Subaru was a coming force and that Alan was the man to play a part in it. Not least, if he managed to net 17 fastest stage times over the course of the year, finished eighth in the championship countback. <laughs> 19, 1991 was good then, but not good enough to prevent Alan from leaving Subaru for Toyota and its brand new Salika ST185 for the following year. It proved to be his last truly professional full-time take on the WRC. And while there was no while there were no outright victories, there were plenty of strong results, strong enough for the Wiley Finn to finish fifth overall in the championship countback with a whopping 29 stage wins to his name. A swashbuckling drive third on the Thousand legs proved beyond doubt that H-, H had done nothing to slow, slow him, as did second overall, overall on the Safari Rally the following year. Uh, by this time, he was an old stager in a world of fresh-faced kids. The likes of Sainz, Ariel, Pankanan, and Delicott and McRae were all striving to carve themselves a place in WRC history. And still, Allen carried on, often shading his younger teammates and rivals. But all good things must come to an end, and for end, this process began in 1993. He tackled just four events that year, each in a different Group A car. In Portugal, he drove a legacy RS to fourth place, then in Kenya, a Stolwatsalika ST185 to second. He retired from Finland after crashing on the very first stage, wrecking a brand new Impressor 555 in the process, before sampling an Escort Cosworth for the betterge Memorial Rally at the end of the year. Allen's retreat from professional driving in the mid-90s brought one of Rallying's most remarkable careers to a close. While his post-Group B career brought no additional chances of securing that elusive driver's title, it did at least present Allen with five victories and runner-up spot just in 1988. Evidence abounds that that he'd lost none of his inherent pace in the transition from Group B to Group A, nor his passion for driving fast. Had the cards fallen ever slight ever so slightly differently, then Allen could have been Lancia's first Group A world champion. Yeah, I I really like Marco Allen. Um, I, I I I rate him as everyone does. But yeah, just just I mean maybe it was always asking a bit much for him to 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 sort of have the 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 personal resolve to to win everything before him as the eighties gave way to the nineties. But I think. From, from an outside point of view, he seems to be one of these guys who never really lost the love for it. No. You know, yeah, absolutely. And he did a lot of full-time seasons in the Group A age as well.
1: Yeah, compared to, you know, as we spoke about earlier, guys that are kind of doing used to doing more partial stuff and don't seem to have that drive to to keep bashing on. Mm-hmm. Alain, who was much older than these folk, still did. Um, and not without, you know, it wasn't like he was floundering at the back of the field by no. any means. Um, you know, for a guy that was knocking about rallying in the early 70s and whatnot.
0: And no stranger to, to winning on tarmac as well, you know. Certainly the group here, right, who won the Tour de you in 037 and San Remo, which was mostly tarmac, you know. So, not just a gravel expert.
1: Yeah, probably someone that should have had a world championship, I guess, obviously, we spoke about earlier that his um, his Portugal win being struck out in 86 um, it cost him, but he did enough to to win it i guess on on the stages um i mean i
0: suppose he won the fia cup for drivers didn't he in 78 so he kind just, of does
1: but, just um, just beat me to it yeah sorry. yeah sorry. yeah no you're <laughs> right yeah
0: um, um the 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 the, the st uh 185 uh year in in 1992 always sort of struck me as, as a weird anomaly you know he always looked in retrospect a bit out of place in a team of, of such youngsters, but you can't argue with, with experience, talent, and results either. So,
1: no, and the 185 was a f- famously difficult car to get to grips with as well.
0: Well, and that year for me, the image that comes to mind when you say Toyota Celica in that year is the image of all three cars down the bottom of that gravel bend in Acropolis. I think it is. Um, and and uh, yeah, yeah, just just <laughs> not not the best of days, but I imagine Ove Anderson gave quite a, a big tongue lashing.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. For a guy who was like famously rather nice, uh I bet mm. that day was uh, <laughs> yeah, something else. Yeah, it was Greece, it was Greece. And so to wrap things up, Ari Vatnin. A little older than my other two choices, Mr. Oh My God, Ari Vatanen, was a seasoned campaigner by the time Group B rolled around, having been competing since 1971 in a mixture of Ford Escorts, of course, and Opel Esconas, before stepping up to the Rothmans Opel team in an Escona 400, a car about to be replaced by the new Manta, in which he and co-driver Terry Harriman secured a sensational victory in the 83 Safari. When I asked Mr. Harriman about that particular event, he said, you just had to keep throwing parts of the car to ensure a finish. And the directory was so long, his pencil lead ran out, to which Harry replied, just put that in the notes. (laughs) What a lad. Batnan's career was definitely influenced by the demise of Group B, but as anyone with even a passing interest in the sport at this time will confirm, it could have all been so very much worse. Vatnin's career was at its zenith when he crashed out of the 1985 running of Rally Argentina in one of the most violent incidents ever seen at WRC level. Both he and co-driver Terry were very lucky to survive the end-over-end smash, not least as the forces involved were great enough to rip the Finn's seat from its mountings, throwing him around the interior of the 205 like a rag doll. Very literally casualties of Group B, despite being luckier than some.
0: You look at the car at the end of it, the remains of it, and it's it's grim, especially because it took the helicopter far too long to bloody find them as well. You know, it's it's just
1: oh, it's yeah. it's pretty scary. And any any time you hear a seat coming off the mountings, you, uh, yeah, it's it's a terrifying thought to to sort of imagine, isn't it? <sighs> yeah, they survived, but far from unscathed. Vatnine had fractured a cervical vertebrae, eight broken ribs a punctured lung and damaged lumbar vertebrae were all serious and potentially fatal injuries. What's less well-remembered is that the whole affair also thrust him into a pit of depression and even caused him to become convinced he'd acquired HIV from the blood transfusion given to him in Argentina, which must have been bloody (laughs) terrifying. I mean, if he hadn't gone through enough.
0: Uh, Yeah, and bear in mind this is 1985 when when AIDS and HIV is little understood, complete death sentence and, and everything else. I mean, it must have been shit scary.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, HIV and AIDS at the time was like the bogeyman disease. You know, it was it -hmm. was being, you know, they were literally kind of advertising. stuff. it's like, you know, this thing is it's going to get you. It's going to kill you. You know, be careful. You know, this, this, that's it was really people were really there was like a real phobia of it at the time.
0: And a stigma against people who had it as well, completely unreasonably, you know,
1: of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Given all this, it's a wonder he was returned to ra- able to return to rallying at any level, much less drive the course car on the 86 San Remo, just over a year on from the crash that came so close to killing him. When all is said and done, the fact that both Vatten and Harriman lived to drive another day is all that matters, But the incident undeniably served to split Vatten's career in half. And while it would be nonsense to suggest it robbed him of outright pace or commitment, it did remove him from the 85 title fight instantly. His last chance of success... At this level, under the group B rule set, that was, As a counterfactual. Would you say maybe that this this gave Salonen the championship? Essentially, see... Salonen very impressive that he was able to come in from there and do it is unbelievable.
0: Would team orders have come into place? That's it. I mean, that's the that's the thing we don't know, do we? I mean, I don't. I think Salonen on an even playing field and allowed to compete would have been a match for Ari.
1: I think so too. I think so too.
0: But whether, of course, John Todd would have decided that, you know, vatanen is the guy that should win because, I don't know, I mean, vatanen had made more headway towards building their head of steam for a title charge earlier in the year before selling it. So maybe, God, mm. I love a counterfactual.
1: Yeah. It's always good fun. So comprehensive were vatanen's achievements prior to Group B, it can all be too easy to forget. He was still quite a young man come the events of Argentina 85. Indeed, it's likely the, only the fact that he was in peak physical shape that he was able to make such a comprehensive recovery, let alone plot a return to full-time driving duties. Yet returning to full-time rallying was precisely what Vatnin wanted to do, and what he said about it as soon as he was able. Thus, the 1981 world champion could be found back at the sharp end of rallying mere months from his near-fatal crash, first on the safari with a Subaru AX Turbo, then some months later at the Wheel of a Sierra RS Cosworth on the One Thousand Lakes. His spellbinding drive to second overall must rank of one of Rallying's most impressive comebacks, not least as the only man ahead of him was fellow groupie refugee Marco Willen, this Finn in a four wheel drive Delta. There's some
0: great footage of um, of that event. And uh, you know, I mean it's there's no such thing as an unspectacular bit of Finnish rally footage, but that's really good. You know, like RS Cosworth's uh, completely sideways with the blind jumps and everything else. It's, it's mad.
1: They do look cracking on those finished gravel, don't they? Yeah, that yeah. that, that uh, biplane wing actually
0: doing some use maybe for once. For <laughs> once,
1: yeah. Batten's next move saw him decamp to, to Mitsubishi for a spell driving its new Gallant VR4, a car which promised a great deal but was ultimately hampered by its size and temperamental reliability. Batten's best results from his two seasons at Rally Art Europe and its wayward gallant would we'll be careful would we'll be a careful drive to fifth on the RAC in nineteen eighty nine, somewhat shaded by the drive to victory by his newly drafted teammate, Penti Aricala. And yet another second place on the one thousand X the following year. Seemingly keen to experience as many Japanese Group A saloon cars as possible, Vatnan then swapped Rally Art for Pro Drive, taking his Banbury debut on the nineteen ninety one RAC in a legacy. He'd finished 5th on his Subaru debut, a result backed up further by further strong showings in Finland, 4th, and again at the RAC for the 2nd the following year. It's probably fair to suggest that fatten timed his move to Prodrive with perfection. He effectively inherited a well-developed car in the legacy, but much of the painful R&D having been done by his fellow Finn and arch rival, Mark O'Allen, as mentioned earlier, before he left for Toyota. I was therefore able to set about ringing a string of points paying finishes with it. 92 brought to finn a handful of retirements some caused by his own exuberant driving style a fourth and second on the 1000 lakes on the rac respectively maybe he passed some of that on to his um, young scottish teammate that arrived on (laughs) i think the legacy in the the blue in the state express colors that looks absolutely rubbish
0: Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad you said that. I thought we we're going to have to, like, you know, end the podcast there because although you know it looks good, it's there's only one answer you're allowed to give, and that's the horrible, disgusting livery that we've all agreed is the best. Yes, the pink, yes. green, BP,
1: Goliafer, and and uh, the LNX um, British Championship colours close second.
0: It looked pretty good in the was it the is the, uh, it Perecland? they had the the yellow yeah. one? That's yeah. good.
1: I really you like. That know, one. Camel? Camel, that's it, uh, isn't it? That's camel. It. Well, on, maybe, probably. maybe both. Yeah. As in, there was a Clarion and a Camel one, both yellow. Uh, maybe. Mm. I like that one anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely.
1: <laughs> the '93 season was probably the best Fatman was able to muster in the second portion of his WRC career, and in truth, any one of the podium finishes he eventually bagged could have had Smith faced smiled favourably. Could have been a win. Best of the rest in both Australia and Finland would in the end have to suffice, but both could have well chalked up as wins, had things played out even slightly different. This year was also the one in which Vattenen sampled, indeed debuted, one of the most effective Group A rally cars of them all, the Impreza 555. Fittingly, given his association with the brand, Vattenen opted to close out his professional career driving with Ford. In a semi-works Escort Carsworth and co-driven by Fabrizio Pons, Vatnin made sure that his final outings were as spectacular as they were fast. He rolled out of the points in New Zealand in spectacular fashion and put any remaining groupie ghosts to rest with third on Rally Argentina. Very few WRC drivers have been maintained as long-lasting a love for the sport as Vatnin, a point underlined by his return to the championship in, in 98, rather, over a quarter of a century on from his debut. He deputized for an inju- injured Bruno Thierry and rose to meet the occasion, first with a third on Safari, his final WRC podium, and then fifth a couple of weeks later in Portugal. A one-off drive for ProDrive and a new Impreza S5 WRC on the network Q promised much, but was ultimately undone by mechanical malady. Of all the grandees of the rallying world who opted to continue competing in Group A, it's probably Vatanen who came closest to making it work. His spell with Subaru was particularly well timed. It could have formed a springboard for another title assault, had suspect reliability and some fierce competition from his young teammate not hampered his chances. Yeah, I mean, I mean Ari's it. great, isn't he? I mean, I, he's still he's still like a cracking <laughs> ambassador for the sport.
0: I I, I, agree, I agree, but I like even more the fact that you said that with the same energy as the Chinese, a great bunch of lads. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fucking great. <laughs> he just seems like a great character i mean he seems like his heart's in the right place he's a great ambassador for motorsport as a whole he's turned up to so many show events and things over the years and um, his his views on the state of the world he doesn't keep to himself you yeah. know obviously he was member of the european parliament for a while he was um, um...
0: And and he's got time for everyone, you know. I, I'm sure seems so, yeah. I think most people, a lot of people have met him because you know he's, he puts himself everywhere. And and I remember about six years ago, I wrote something for the the promo guide for Rally Day, and it was just a summary of his career. It was nothing special, certainly something, nothing that hadn't been written before in a similar in a similar thing. And yet, when I went and sort of said to him, "Can you sign this?" He you know flipped through and read a little bit. of it. it was there for like ten minutes, and and actually read bits and gave a sort of you know his approval. It's just like just. meant a lot you know the guy is a complete gentleman and uh an all-round goodest of good eggs i think
1: yeah no it very much seems so um never met him would love to but i mean he just he oozes class and style as you say seems to have time for everybody you know on top of his great talent and results you know um the
0: whole story has everything you know The massive crash. I mean, you know, I suppose maybe it's the romance in me that wishes he got a title in the group age, you know, I think, um, I mean, it doesn't matter because he's already confirmed as one of the sports greats, but I don't know. There was another one in him for sure. Totally. Another one in him. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe if he'd landed a Lancia gig in '87, he'd have had it. You know, he needed to. He needed to. He hit the ground running with a winningest car. You know, or, or a, a, a world beater. You know, um, mm. but at least he didn't end up at Mazda.
1: Yes. So he still still locked out a, a little bit, I guess.
0: <laughs> and he grew, drove lots of badass four hundred five rally raid cars, didn't he? So I mean, yeah. yeah.
1: And then the you know the 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 climb dance. And Pike's Peak and all that. Yep. yep. One-handed, <laughs> puts, yeah. One handed shading the eyes.
0: That's thank you for describing the Good for reminding that. Yeah, it's, it's a, a podcast. Media. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah, they can't and see they you doing that.
0: And I also put the hand the wrong way, so it looked like I was giving a weird salute. So, you know. Mm.
1: <laughs> so those are six the the post groupie careers of six groupie legends, I guess. Um as you, you know, Jamie, great idea. I think it, they do make worthy discussion. It's all quite different because it's, it, it's just more so for the fact that these guys were all on the top of the world. Yeah. And that world was taken away from them, well, unless you were at Lancia. It was very hard to make that work. And,
0: and even then, it must have sucked. I mean, there's that famous Mar- Marco Allen interview, isn't it? Where he's you know, he said... I think it's Marco 11 who says I have all the power in the world, and then in 1987 suddenly I have no engine. You know, it must have been a kick in the teeth to go from that to that. Yeah, because I mean,
1: Atlantia when you, when one of like Allen's probably tested like an ECV. Yeah, at that point. Yeah, yeah. You know, because um, uh, all these guys would have you know, and, and like we we've not mentioned a lot of people because I mean the Ford team disappeared completely. Your lovely Blamquist and uh, who am I missing? Cali Grundle would have been. There. Um and obviously
0: you know. Mark Lovell and then the guys further down, you know. But, um
1: you know I think uh, it's probably
0: it's worth stating as well that we're not pouring we're not pouring scorn on these guys' career decisions, because you know, it's easy for us to say and say this 35 whatever years on from the thing. But you know, just, just getting a work seat must have been considered quite something in a bun fight that was the WSE of the night.
1: Well, that's it. It's like I said, when the music stopped, it's very limited seats available. Um, you know, and, and, and as you say, you know, the, you know, we can laugh about, you know, not going to Mazda, but that, that wouldn't have seemed like a bad move at all. I mean, you know, manufacturer works team, you know, the Japanese brands are really starting to come into the fore. Yeah. yeah, just nothing. You, you can't fault anyone's logic with taking all these things. um, And you, have to make too so um yeah.
0: probably worth also worth noting that um that group s is the category that wouldn't die you know if you look back at the history it's really it's really quite tricky because it, it i think it has three different lives between 1985 and 1988 you know there's it's it's, it's only or well, maybe not 88 but certainly you know there's it's a long time where there's a reason if you look at the spec of proposed group S cars, they go from being 650 brake horsepower, you know, uh, basically group B plus to being 300 brake with all the composites you want. You know, it gets, it gets rehashed again and again, um, long after uh, the events of, of 1986 have happened, you know, um, play on Ballester and everything else. There's, there's quite a sort of back and forth that exists, you know, well into, uh You know, like, well into late 1986, I think. Yeah, but,
1: I think we, we'll have to discuss Group S maybe at a another time. Um, and fully flesh that out. What you reckon?
0: Absolutely. Mr. Two 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 two. Yeah. two 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 two. Yeah. 2222.
1: Oh, and all three of them built had different engines.
0: Yeah, this is good, isn't it? As the, yeah. The one it's that's a v- sneaker twin cam turbo engine. There's, there's the a V6. There's a V6. And isn't there also the one, maybe it's the V6, one was taken from a a, a proposed Group C race as well, wasn't it? Isn't there a, some sort of, yeah, there's a lot of weirdness. Um, and one of the best-looking rally cars, I think. You know, it's, it's,
1: it's amazing. It's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, probably would have been a handful, I reckon. Like, such yeah. a short wheelbase, but with the mid-engine and kind of,
0: yeah. There's also a rear wheel drive one only, isn't there? Four wheel yeah. drive and
1: rear wheel drive, I believe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think they were going to do one for tarmac, which belies its origins of of you know the, the mid eighties when having four wheel drive on tarmac was, you know, um but we're opening another we're prizing. Yeah, we'll save that one for another day. For but, homologated worms.
1: But there there's also a few people like, you know, the, I suppose your Michelle Mouton's career just stopped completely. Uh, yes As well You know That's post Post 86 Okay she went on To start Race of Champions In 87 Um, But if you look at her EWRC profile And, and we probably should thank EWRC at some point <laughs> it's very useful In doing these yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, It's just sh- it's just, sh- just show events You um, know She wasn't Certainly she was younger Than some of these guys Um, And it's I mean Again, I'd have to ask the lady, but it's hard to imagine that there wouldn't have been somewhere for her to go.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? When it comes to that kind of thing, you can't know unless you're privy to be able to interview insert rally driver here after four pints or whatever, you know, to get the actual thing. So why didn't, you know, were were you, you weren't offered the opportunities, you couldn't be bothered to pick yourself back up again, understandably, or did the prospect of you know, driving a she was with Peugeot then, so that would have gone. But maybe driving an Audi two hundred Quattro around at, in the in the you know lower reaches of the top five that didn't appeal. You know, which mm. again understandable. Um, well,
1: I, I still haven't watched that documentary, and I really should have. Um, mm. Maybe maybe some light will be shed on it. So I have it recorded,
0: and I, I haven't loved. watched it either.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there
0: is Walter Rawl, of course, who you know who had the exact same predicament and. Obviously, hung around in eighty-seven with the two hundred Quattro, and then I mean he's kind of a special case because it was clear that his his roundy roundy racing thing was always there from an early age, and yes. by that point he was Mister Audi, Mister Mister Volkswagen Group, and he got mm-hmm. you know sequestered to was it the IMSA and the GTO in America, you know those, yeah. Um, so yeah, and again, you know, I can, I don't know. If I were talented enough to be offered that, I dare say I might have chosen to do the roundy roundy racing with a with a 200 IMSA or a GTO as well.
1: They're pretty cool, to be fair. Yes. So, yeah, I guess that brings us to an end, Jamie, does it?
0: I believe so. Um, I hope this hasn't been too uh, long form and wordy for some of you, so please do let us know, whatever you think. Um, I, I, hopefully it's a, a slightly left field. Interesting topic. I always thought it was one that I wanted to sort of delve into myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so please let me know if I'm walking up the wrong tree or not.
1: I'm open to being corrected and on, and on the speculating we've done now as well, to be. We?
0: Yes, and counterfactuals. Yeah. Give us some more counterfactuals. I love a counterfactual. Lo-
1: do like a counterfactual. Do love an alternate yeah. reality. Um, you can't be wrong. <laughs> no, no, it's great fun. It's great fun. Um, so once again, this has been Rally DNA with me, Killian, and. Jamie yeah, as awesome. ever, join us in two weeks time for the next episode Um, and please check out our sponsor Slipping Grip Automotive uh, leading track day organizer and also have access to the Bond Rally Stage for all your tarmac testing needs if you're a Welshman with a Mark II Escort and you fancy coming to Ireland to do some tarmac rallying and the best tarmac rallying in Europe and you need to get your, your eye in you should probably check out the Bont Rally Stage uh, otherwise you'll be at nothing when you get here so yeah like us share us turn on notifications, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Thank you so much. Three, two, one,
0: go. 100, long, easy left. 70, caution, long, fast right, tights in the very long, K right.
1: 300.
0: Very long, medium left. Oh, 100.